Hello, and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I am joined, as always, by Nate Atkins. Uh, we are in a situation now where the world explodes every couple every week, right, a couple of days after the game. Uh, it exploded yesterday with the firing of Marcus Brady as offensive coordinator and the trade of Naheem Hines, the requested trade of Naheem Hines uh, to the Buffalo Bills. So... We're gonna. We'll get to that in a second. I'm gonna start off though with so I don't, so I don't forget like last week. With what did you bring for your prop? I did bring a prop. I they they keep messing with me with these Tuesday uh, decisions. So we we'll hope this will still apply well enough. But this is the quarterback whisper. It's a book by Bruce Arians that. First of all, I just want to recommend if for Colts fans. And <laughs> Can we talk about the title? That is a, a audacious title. It's bold. That is. It's bold. That's that's Bruce, though. And that's I, I kind of like wish people just, who love Bruce, and I've always loved Bruce. I kind of just wish he titled it "I'm Awesome." Again, I grew up. <laughs> yeah. Hey, his his best resume is this year's Bucks offense. Um, I, I, I am not left. saying he's not awesome. I'm um, just saying the yeah, title is. I know. Is, it's, is bold. It's, it's Bruce. He's uh, he's no risk it, no biscuit. Um, when I was growing up, he was the offense coordinator of the Browns, and. They made the playoffs, and then he left, and they didn't make it for like twenty years. So um, he's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's it's a good book. It is Colts fans, I think, would enjoy it because it does talk about you know coaching Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck, and of course that's where the franchise is is reaching back to days when they I had don't know. It, stability. It depends on who you talk to if they want to think about that or not right now, because there was a lot of uh, reaction on my Twitter timeline with Tarek Glenn going into the Ring of Honor last week that. All this does is remind me of where we're not. Yep, yeah, that's what that's exactly what I was feeling. And you know, with with Peyton being out there, and then there's a game where it was seven to six in the third quarter was, but all those legends were watching. And um, I just bring it up though because Bruce, th- it's a good book about just kind of his process of getting quarterbacks confident, building offenses, and and getting kind of building it over time and how it's every quarterback he has from Ben Roethlisberger to Carson Palmer to Andrew Luck to Peyton Manning it's bad the first year or it's it's usually not that good the first year and then it takes off from there I mean you only got one year with Andrew Luck but those other guys it it always built from there wait so then I just want to this is a revolutionary idea you're saying like you could have more than one year with a quarterback it's amazing isn't it what about like more than seven games oh like you're saying that like the, the ideal maybe it's an outdated. You're book saying the ideal point. scenario is to build with a quarterback over time. Uh yeah, not yeah, just recycle so. different ones. Yeah, just ones. switch and change the offense in the middle of the season. Um, yeah, what a strategy! <laughs> and that's what's funny. That's the irony of it is he talks about building it throughout the entire offseason and building your coaching staff from the spring to now to get the most out of that specific quarterback and. Frank Reich's putting a lot on himself now to be sort of a quarterback whisperer, among many other things. I mean, he's our indication is that he is the full-time offensive coordinator now. So he's obviously a head coach, play caller. Now he's he's an offensive coordinator. Obviously, he's got other staffers that will help him help him with a lot of that. But this is goes without saying. This is the toughest coaching job of Frank Reich's career, and it's as tough as he's ever had with a quarterback because the mix of the guy he's putting in, the lack of experience with Sam Ellinger, the fact that it's the middle of the season, and the fact that there are expectations. I think about like the one other, the one. Uh, he, you think about the guys he's coached throughout his career, whether it's Philip Rivers in two different spots, obviously Andrew Luck for a year, um, even starting with Matt Ryan this year. Th- this is by far the biggest challenge. The only one that really compares to it 
in any way to me was Jacoby Brissett, that being thrown upon him. But even then, there was sort of, it seems like there was an understanding that they weren't going to light the world on fire as a team. They could go seven and nine, and it wasn't like his. Well, job and was they on the they line. had. I mean, it was a back. It was a. a Brissett was a backup. You yeah. know, he was a backup who got thrown into it with two weeks to go, and they didn't have any other options. Yeah, rather than middle of the season, and he, yeah, he was a backup who ran the offense of the guy in front of him, obviously to a much lower level. This is a very different deal, though, where they're going from a true pocket sort of statue quarterback in Matt Ryan to a quarterback whose abilities are really on on the move with, with Sam Ellinger and so really I you know I, I know this isn't what fans are going to want to hear I liked how they I liked a lot of the stuff they did with Sam I liked a lot of I liked the game plan I liked the fact that they had three days of practice to build a completely different offense and a lot of the stuff they did with him on rollouts and and um, just in the run game using you know getting conflict defenders and creating something in the run game with Jonathan Taylor and um, they, they really got Sam comfortable and so it, it comes off really weird this week when they fire the offensive coordinator after doing that it I know on the outside that probably looks like they think it didn't go well but um, and we'll get into that but I just the main thing I want to hammer home though is that like we're going to really learn like this is by far Frank's toughest job as a head coach and as an offensive mind that he's ever had probably will ever have and it's 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 gonna be fascinating to see how this goes about how he does the rest of it and I think the decision he made yesterday you know to fire an offense coordinator actually goes back to the fact that he's he's taken even more control of this and so he's trying to be as much as he can in this chaotic season the quarterback whisperer my mascot uh will apply to Nate he may have used it earlier today I don't know um oh gosh it's a tire plug kit (laughs) I knew that's what you were gonna do (laughs) Nate, Nate woke up to a flat tire today. How, how did. did you? How did you get it fixed, or is it fixed? Yet? It's not fixed. It's well, not you know fixed. how you could have fixed it with a tire plug kit. Uh, all right. Well, I'll take that home and I'll try. No, to you can't. It That's, out. This is mine. Oh, come on. <laughs> I need help here. <laughs> this is mine. <laughs> so, you, so you're coming over? Uh, no. Oh. No, 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 no. I hear you don't have anything going on though. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no family. Nope, no, nope, 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 nope. There's no, not nothing for the job to See, do. Here's here's the thing about tire plug kits: you can't give them to somebody because then you won't have it in your car when you need them. And you don't trust me to bring it back the very next day I see you. No, I don't. Okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, at least we know. And you can tell I've used it already because there were four, there were four in here, and now there's two. Um, but. You know, Nate. Nate could have used this today. All, all you really need it. is all you really need after you get, you know, you make the hole, clear it out. All right. So now you're going to tempt me with what I could do if I had one. Of yeah, those. I was going to say, do you know what to do with one of these? I've actually never used those. I've replaced okay. replaced the full tire, but not, uh, I never so, plugged it. So my dad is really good at this. My dad can do this in like as much. My dad can uh, plug a hole in a tire in less time than it takes my kids to decide what snack they're going to convince me to buy them at a gas station on a road trip. Mm. Um, but you, you get it's pretty the, good ratio. I feel like I'm, I'm guessing you use that, that example for, that's like your measurement of very, time. It's a very dad measurement of time. I'm hoping that the podcast listeners understand it, but it's a very dad measurement of time uh, where like you get to the gas station and you're like, okay, this should take this amount of time. And then like, you just feel the clock ticking in your head. And you're like, oh wow, this is this this trip is getting really long in one gas station stop. Um, anyway, so what you do is you use this to pry out the nail or whatever it is. You clear out the hole because mm-hmm. you want you want to have a, a nice place for the plug, which right. you thread through this little thing. Okay, and you put glue on both sides of it, 
and you put it in, and it's got a little seam here, and you just pull it out through the rubber. Okay. And that works really well. It says, I'm going to say some really bad car advice right now. Uh, it says that you should, like, immediately replace your tire. That's not really true. I learned from growing up. Uh, oh with my dad that, that those plugs can go a really long time in a tire. So, uh, and then if you, the biggest thing is you just need to have air with it. So like you would need to have air at, at my house. I have a very, I do a lot of biking, so I have a very good bike pump and it, it takes a lot to pump up a car tire, but you can do it without having to, you know, get yeah, your car to I've, an air pump. I've been pumping. I, I have an air pump that, that had worked until it got to the point where it does not work, which is, um, and as far as how it applies to the colds, because it has to apply to the colds, I, I did come up with it almost immediately when Nate, when Nate texted this morning and said that he I hope uh, so. The irony, if you were bringing that in and my fire <laughs> was just out anyway, would have been great. No, I hadn't, I hadn't come up with a great idea yet then. And you, and you were like, well, I've, I've got to, I woke up to a flat tire. And I was like, ha There you go. Tire plug kit. Um, my dad is very seriously, like he could, he could probably do your car in 10 minutes. All right. Have him Fortunately, over. he lives in Wisconsin. Wow. So, um, but, uh. There's twofold. The first one, uh, this is going to be for mostly Twitter users. I don't know if, if regular people know this or remember this, and they might not at all. If you followed Naheem Hines, there was a period here where he uh, was <laughs> tweeting about a flat tire like every other day. Oh, yeah. Like he had he like loves three the or potholes. Four, he had like three or four flat tires. And, I, you know. Oh, I didn't make that connection. That, this was Naheem Hines' going away present. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To give he me got, the got, tire problems. He got traded. He got traded, and I can't give him the tire plug kit. Not that I would. Again, never give someone your tire plug kit because you won't get it back, and then you're going to blow your tire. Um, but so there's that with Hines. And I, I've got bad news for Hines. Uh, it snows, and it's really cold in Buffalo. The roads there are probably yeah. bad, too. Um, so, so that's that. And then, but then from a, a more macro Colts thing, it feels like they're trying to plug holes in this team um, over and over again. But the thing is, the tire plug kit, it's only worth so much. If it's a nail, it's fine. But the Colts haven't been dealing with nails the last couple of weeks. They've been di- dealing with giant ripped gashes in the tire. Uh, and yeah, like in the one case, Sam Ellinger proved to be a pretty good plug at the quarterback position um, in terms of what he was able to bring them, the way he played, this, the poise he played with last week. He was a pretty good plug. Now there's another big one where you've you've gashed with the offensive coordinator. You've got a gash with Hines, and it feels like the car is falling apart around them, and the only tool they have is a tire plug kit. And yeah. we'll see. We'll see if the, we'll see if they they have more tools at their disposal. But that's what it feels like right now. Is that more and more and bigger stuff is is falling and breaking off of this team. And they're trying to fix it, and they just don't have the tools available. I, I thought it was, I thought it was an interesting text message I got from somebody else who covers a different team in the NFL, is not tied to Indianapolis, and, you know, trying to like, in terms of what other people are looking at from the outside in and seeing in the Colts, and he's just like, like, why are the Colts treating like treating everything like it's blowing up? Um. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I I think here it feels pretty normal and right because of the way things have gone. But <laughs> just from life. A, but just from an outside perspective, the the reaction right now I think is I think the I think the actual text message is why are the Colts acting like they're zero and seven when they're three and four? Um, yeah, which is an interesting. It's point. just an interesting outside observation. I think in the moment here in Indianapolis, it feels. Like all of this stuff is sort of a byproduct of this this disaster that's going on with the offense and with uh, a regime that's 
under a lot of heat right now. Nationally, it feels like uh, that to people nationally. I think it feels like an overreaction. Yeah, and to continue the uh, the tire analogies for one last run, this someone else on the cold speed last week made this this comparison, but they said when they went from Matt Ryan to Sam Ellinger to that, the idea that that was going to fix what's going on with this offense was like, if you have a car that the engine doesn't work anymore, you just replace the four tires and you think that's going to work. And that's kind of how it looked. Sam did play pretty well for, for what I thought he was going to do. Ultimately an offense averaging 16 points a game and two turnovers had 16 points a game and two turnovers because there's still issues much bigger than than the tires and that offense you know when they always fumble and they uh they don't block and all that other stuff yeah shout out to Stephen holder for this but i thought it was a really important stat the colts are three and zero this season when they don't, don't turn the ball over or when they're when they're ahead in the turnover battle they're three and zero. they're oh four and one when they're even or behind in the turnover battle that's that's just a uh, uh sometimes it's not that simple but it's also sometimes that simple and it's interesting, the tie was against the Texans. So it's like the best-case scenario you have is you can tie the worst team in football when you play that way. That's that's the margin of error that they don't have this year, and um, it just comes up over and over again. You know, it's interesting, though, you mentioned, like, you know, it looks like it, what they're doing is what you do if you're 0-7. I, I understand why that would be a reaction from far away, just seeing some of these things. But, like, yeah, being here, I'll, I almost think they're doing this because they're 3-4-1. and Some of this stuff, if they were 0-7, I think we would have seen – a different trade than Naheem Hines for six round pick that could be a fifth round pick. They had other guys that I think would be valuable guys in a contract year like Yannick Ngakwe that that some team would have liked if it was the yeah, I was on the future. Yeah, I wasn't really in the future, and we'll get into why Hines was the trade they made. Um, but like, the same thing with firing the offensive coordinator is that like if they were zero and seven, I don't you know I don't know that that fixes the fact that you're zero and seven. But in from their perspective, from if you put yourself in Frank Reich's shoes. Like he, there's no more time to wait on this. It has to get, you know. I know on the outside it looks bleak, and the, and the path for them is is not very strong to see them actually fixing it. But they have to find any way they can. And to them, I think they're realizing this is kind of last week to do it. If they wait three more weeks, and if they're three, seven, and one, it doesn't really matter. You could fire the whole staff, and it's like there's there's just not enough time to come back. So I actually think what they're doing shows even more urgency to try whatever you can to try to climb out of this hole. They've climbed out of holes in the past, and this is the hardest one they've ever had to climb out of. But that's that's ultimately how I've been interpreting what they're doing. But I know on the outside, it I've, I've gotten that same thing where people are just – they wonder why there's just so many changes after changes after changes for a team that, that is 3-4-1. Let's start with the Hines story just because it's the easiest one to talk about. We have the most information on it. Naheem Hines wanted out. Um, they, they had – uh, the initial report, both from Schefter and from me, was that other teams were contacting the Colts about it. The Colts were not shopping him. Um, draw your own conclusions by the running back who wanted out, and then teams start calling about how that happens. Um, but uh, he, he'd he wanted a bigger role in the offense. It's never really progressed beyond what it's always been. He's always been the satellite back here, third down back, um, plays somewhere between 30% and 40% of the snaps. He was right in the middle of that this year. He was the 35.2% of the snaps in the six games he was healthy for. Um, the role was pretty much the same. Uh, and that came from a, that, that comes after an offseason of that comes after an offseason of saying that Hines was going to play a bigger role, a much bigger role in the offense. They're going to play him in the slot more. They're going to do more to get him on the field with Jonathan Taylor. Um, 
I have I have some thoughts on why that why that's developed that way, but I want to hear your your uh, initial reaction first. Yeah, that that's absolutely what I thought this was. I I remember predicting to people yesterday that he would he'd be gone because that was just my impression coming away from that game was that this guy this guy needs a change of scenery. He needs something that that has a chance for what he was expecting, and um, they they just are not and they're not getting value out of that role I mean they wanted it too Frank Reich talked about you know there's a clip going around where he said if I was a fantasy football uh owner I would draft Naheem Hines this year they really thought this was going to work and it I tell you when you watch in the spring and it was of course it's we learn how little this matters but spring practice where they're you know they were just trying to build chemistry with a new quarterback Naheem Hines looked great and it, and it fit a lot of what Matt Ryan stylistically was supposed to play with as a you know guy who does take the check down and um and can motion him out and do things pre-snap and the way it's played out it just between you know between the, the lack of blocking between teams spying him between um you know really really comes down to a lot of that and, and then he's you know he missed two games as well and everything else and then you know they, they just don't want to run enough when he's averaging two yards a carry uh it just it didn't materialize and I know what Naheem was worn down by is he got drafted here to be the receiving running back for a team that had Andrew Luck and he's the one who I think has felt this more than maybe any other player of every single year is a new quarterback every year he's trying to convince that new quarterback like you can trust me look for me I'm the check down I'm the safety valve I got to play within how you move and where you're looking, and it's just constantly changing. And I think this year, this this year kind of finally broke that. They got Matt Ryan. It felt like, and I I did the story in the spring where he talked. He loved the idea of Matt Ryan. He loved the person. He loved the fit. He loved the style. He, I mean, he he, he was he was friends with Cordell Patterson and talked to him about how they built this. And to pull that out after seven games, I mean that that just wasn't. It, it just wasn't a good thing for for a lot of guys on this team, and it and it wasn't great for Naheem. He, to his credit, he I mean he's he's such a good teammate, such a good interview. He he said the right things in a lot of situations. He he built up Sam's confidence, and it wasn't about Sam to him. It wasn't like resentment, but it was frustration that this is happening all the time. And I don't I don't think it's a complete coincidence that he's going to a team that will not be changing the quarterback because it's Josh Allen, and that's the kind of setting that he thought he was being drafted into with Andrew Luck, never materialized, and now it has a chance to, to have to have a possibility. I, I do have questions. This is uh, just an aside. I've, w- I think all of us have watched a lot of Buffalo over the last couple of years because they've been one of the best teams in the NFL. Um, fantasy owners out there, if you've ever drafted a Bills running back, um, you'll understand what I'm about to say. I don't know that he's going to get the role he wants in Buffalo right away. Like I, my understanding of with Hines is that it's not just about the pass catching. I thought he wanted right. a bigger role in all areas. The bills, like if you've, if you've been a Devin Singletary owner over the last couple of years, like he'll have a big game. And then the next, next week he'll have five carries or not very many touches. There's a lot of weapons on that offense and a lot of guys who can touch the ball. Now, maybe in an offense with Josh Allen, Hines is more comfortable with that. feels better about that. But in terms of having the heightened role, snap count, consistent workload, if like I said, if there's one thing fantasy owners fantasy owners know, it's that Buffalo Bills running backs do not have a consistent workload. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what his role is like there. Yeah, I and think you can it, go both ways with that because part of it is they they clearly think Hines is better than what they have. So if they have a better player, they trust more. Maybe they play him more. It is a fair question. I do know that um, I think his punt return abilities mattered a lot 
to them too. They've had they've had issues in that area. Too. It matters to I think I think for Buffalo it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. This is Buffalo tried to get tried to sign JD McKissick in the offseason and he went back to Washington. It, for Buffalo it makes a lot of sense. In terms of Hines getting what he wants. It'll be interesting to see if that materializes. You know in what Buffalo's I think he ultimately offense. would want though is to win. And that is uh, he that, wants the ball. And he wants to win. Uh, but he wants the ball. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think he'll get both, and, though. And I think one of the things that happened with the, his role in the in the offense this season, and it, you know, uh, the, when they talked about it in the offseason, Chris Ballard said they're going to play in the slot more. Um, they're going to play him in the slot more. This ended up being something that none of us really expected, which is this is a better wide receiver core than Hines has probably played with here. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, so like in, in 2018, in his rookie season, he caught 63 passes. Big year for him. That team had T.Y. Hilton having his last really great season as a Colt, truly great season as a Colt, and not very much elsewhere at the receiver position. They had to, they had to get an a impressive half a season from Dontrell Inman to really have anything at the wide receiver position. In 2020, he had 63 catches. They had a lot of secondary options because Michael Pittman was a rookie, um, and he kind of had to took he got he got hurt, so it took him a little time to develop. Hilton was kind of in and out of the lineup. Pasco was in. They had a bunch of like 50, 40 to fifty catch guys, and so there was a void for Hines to fill. The way this season has developed, Pittman is a true number one. He's playing the role that Hilton had in eighteen, and then Alec Pierce has become a big play number two, and Paris Campbell out of the slot over the last four game, three or four games has really come into his own, and so the the need to move him to the slot and play him more there has lessened um, as as the season's gone along. It was going to be harder for him to get in, and then in terms of getting him in as a running back, uh, just his his career numbers, his career numbers as a running back, his career resume as a running back I don't know that you would take carries away from Taylor for Hines um, you know he's, he's got a habit of sort of hesitating on the way into the hole he's had that even in years where the blocking was good um, his career yards per carry is around four which is acceptable it's not good you know was 4.9 last year it, that, that's the one year it was really good but mm-hmm. the other years it hasn't been Right, um, and so and this year it's at two because obviously the blocking is terrible. But he's not creating anything more out of the blocking until last week. Last week, five five carries for twenty yards, um, but it, it just they were he was never going to get the role he wanted here. Which you know I I think that they think that he is he's more than a, he's always said he's more than a satellite back. Again, we'll see if Buffalo uses him in that way, but that's that's what he was looking for, and why ultimately you know the Colts unwillingness to expand his role beyond what it what it's been in, in Indianapolis is the reason why he's not here anymore and that's why that's why it wasn't a big sell-off because this was a case of a player who didn't want to be here anymore yeah it's that and it's also the fact that like you said they've they've got something different now with Paris Campbell in the slot he's really emerging and not only is he producing but he's He's playing a ton. Like his snap counts are just through the roof because he's become that player they really trust to, um, to do all the all these things with motions and getting guys. Set. They haven't had a slot like him yeah. in the four years here. They haven't had a slot playing like this in the four years here. They've had guys in the slot. I can't remember what Chester Rogers had the first year I was here in 2018, but he was kind of in that role. He wasn't playing the way Campbell's been playing. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, you know, is Campbell going to stay healthy? I, I don't know. But they've they've never given a slot receiver the snap counts that they're giving Paris Campbell right now. In the last three or four weeks, 
he's really started to take advantage of that. Yeah. So it's that's an element to this offense that I don't know that the Colts could have anticipated coming into this season, and it directly impacts what they were thinking they were going to do with Hines. And also it's worth mentioning, like, Deion Jackson's come along, and he's had 14 targets and 14 catches. And I talked to Scotty Montgomery about this a few weeks ago. They said they felt like after the first month of the season, something really clicked for Deion Jackson in pass pro and uh, in the meeting rooms where they said, like, we, we really trust you to play if we need you to play. They didn't have that, obviously. They didn't feel like they had that coming in the year. That's why Hines seemed really valuable. So it's a move that they, they – their fans are interpreting that this is part of a tank move. It, it's not that. It's a player who wanted out, um, and it's a team that, that that wanted to do right by a player that they, they really trust. He's one of the most trusted and respected players on, in that locker room. And then – they do feel like they have some other players they didn't have before. That's kind of the only some of the only positive developments for this offense. But one thing I'll mention about Hines with um, with some of the rushing. You're right. He's not he's not been he's not great between the tackles. He's good when he gets kind of around the edge. And I do think losing Jack Doyle hurt that too. Um, the offensive line's been bad, but also you don't have that that sealed edge. And Hines this year was averaging two yards a carry, but all the running backs outside Jonathan Taylor are averaging two point nine. Taylor's combined. down too, and Taylor's down. Taylor's like down. Taylor's been a five uh, five plus guy, and right now he's at four point three. They are down. Yeah, and what happens? They are down, with, but what happens with that is you trust the run game less, but you're also you're in worse situations. There's a lot of times they're in second and fourteen. They're not going to run as much as some fans would like them to. That that just isn't smart football, and it's not what they're going to do. So they're just. There are fewer touches for all the, all the running back touches are down because they can't they can't run the ball they can't stay ahead of the chains and chains and they can't stay on the field when they turn it over the way they are so some of these things it just it's unfortunate the way it went for Hines here but it's a good outcome for him to go to a team that that is probably the Super Bowl contender a quarterback that's not going to change we'll see what the role looks like but I do think he'll be happy on a couple of those fronts couple a couple of other things um, to that that. It ends up being a bad contract because you signed a guy for three years uh, and then traded him halfway into the first year of that extension. That, that's a bad. That's a bad contract. They're going to have dead money next year um, because of it. And if if that's where this was headed, you just shouldn't have resigned him. I mean, there's benefit of hindsight on that. Like there's benefit of of looking back on it. But that's again, I, I keep quoting Jim Iello, former Colts beat writer Jim Iello on this. It's kind of Chris Ballard's job to see the future. Um, and so, so trading a guy a half a year into the extension, into the three-year extension you signed him for, makes it a bad contract given out. Um, and then on top yep. of that, uh, I think the other thing is I, the return. My my understanding was that the Colts didn't want to give him away. I don't think they gave him away. They got two assets out of it. The value of those assets, though, is less than I would have liked to have seen. You know, Zach Moss is running back that the Bills didn't use. They weren't using at all. Uh, it was an emergency only, like if it break glass in case of injury. Uh, he just hadn't had many touches this year. I know he's a former third-round pick. He just hasn't done anything in Buffalo. They were out on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then a, a sick conditional sixth that can turn into a fifth. Whatever you think of the way Chris Ballard's drafted in the later rounds, it's that's a special teams and developmental type part of the draft. It's not the same as like, you know, a guy that Ballard called a foundational part of yeah, the organization. It's a lottery ticket. You know, it's not. A, and so, I, I don't know. For for me, unless Zach Moss finds something that looks more like where he ended up being drafted and less like what he's looked in like in Buffalo, 
it's it's not enough. Yeah, and on, on, this is the unfortunate reality how this season's gone. They kind of tanked his value a little bit. Like it, he hasn't had a good year, and it doesn't look like a player that that teams are going to come running for. You have to kind of know Naheem Hines and really trust your team to get a lot more out of him than this team has gotten. He's he's not overcoming bad blocking and, and bad tight ends and you know and all this other stuff. So the Bills kind of they had the leverage because uh, obviously he wanted he wanted to get a, a move, but also they have a situation that a lot of teams didn't have to offer where they feel like we know we'll bring this guy in and we can we're not going to waste him the way that the Colts waste. He him. never really realized the explosive play potential that the Colts always saw in him. I mean, some of that's on the Colts. Some of it's also on Hines. You know, I, th- there was the big wheel route on Sunday, but they've run a lot of those before, and there have been some drop passes, some, some mistakes uh, from, from him on, on those types of plays. His his longest career play in Indianapolis was 36 yards. I, I think if you look at his speed, uh, you would expect to see more of more than that. You expect to see more explosive plays than he's he's given since he's been there. So again, I I totally understand the impulse to put the, all that on the the coaching staff, but at some point, if you're really that explosive player in five years, even if you're not getting chances, which I mean he had a couple of 130 touch seasons, explosive play has to come somewhere. Like mm-hmm. the really explosive one, the 60 yarder, the one year that I think he was always imagined as. Yeah, um, and maybe they'll come in Buffalo because everyone in Buffalo gets sixty yarders. I think they had a tackle have sixty yard touchdown last week. That's well, that's in, hyperbole, but and that's what we interested to see is if what the Josh Allen effect does for him. He clearly is he's betting on himself. I'm interested to see how it works. Some of that clearly has not been in this offense recently. Matt Ryan was not throwing very much down the field. Carson Wentz didn't really throw to running backs at all. Um, Philip Rivers obviously had a great year with Hines. Um, I don't think it was. 60 yard type down the field potential so this is the best quarterback he's had in terms of that just the pure arm strength if they want run a wheel route and get him you know get him open and and see how it plays because there was that play on Sunday where he caught that wheel route set up a first and goal a little better ball and he touches it in stride Um, yep just there have been there have been that play in the past with other quarterbacks he dropped one in San Francisco last year granted in a monsoon still dropped it um, there's been another. There was another one. There's been a couple of missed opportunities on some of that stuff. So yeah, he isn't. There has been this notion, I think, with fans that and the Colts hope for this that this is an explosive player. It hasn't materialized yet, so he still has to prove. He's that. been it, what he what he was in Indianapolis was a very effective receiving running back in the way that like you think of like with the Patriots and Kevin Falk mm-hmm. or like the Saints and Darren Sproles. Um, that kind of guy you can Danny just Woodhead. always you can always throw it to that guy and, and he moves the chains and does that kind of thing i think that fans always wanted to see more i think Hines believes he can be more the Colts coaching staff never got out got it out of him and 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 never frankly didn't give him enough chances uh just to, to prove that he could do that mm-hmm. to be more than that and we'll you know we'll see now we'll see as because i i think we're going to get a lot of chance to watch buffalo bills games going forward so um, we'll see how the Bills use him. Yeah, and just my last point on Naheem Hines, I just I, I want to give him a shout-out as a true pro. Um, he's always been the best interview for me on this team, one of my be- favorites in the league covering three teams. And I'll give him credit because he was one of a couple players on offense who spoke after the game on, uh, on Sunday. And we're talking about a guy that was ready to get out. So it's very easily he could have just – 
done what I've seen some other players do, which is put their head down and just not speak and not, you know, not voice their frustrations. And he, he had a very nice balance between making it clear that he's, he's frustrated with how this offense is played, but also he, he said some nice things, gave some reinforcement to, to guys like Sam uh, Ellinger and Paris Campbell, and he, that, that's Naheem Hines for you. He did a good – I thought he did a good job of – he never really complained about his role publicly. Yeah. Um, behind the scenes, I know that his camp wanted out. You know, but I don't know if he ever said anything that was super damning. No, uh, the criti- when he got the, critical, it was about the performance. It was about the overall performance the of the offense. Yeah, and which he put it on himself a lot of times too. Yeah, no, I, I give him a lot of credit for never like publicly complaining about it, even though it clearly was a sore spot. Um, the other move is a little bit harder to discuss and harder to explain. We haven't talked to Frank Reich yet. I don't know that we're going to get a ton of detailed explanation uh, for the decision to move away from Mar- Marcus Brady. Um, a very surprising move. I, I think most of us thought it would be the, uh, Chris Strasser at the offensive line. Um, I, I, th- I think that's the one that everyone thought was coming. The offensive coordinator is a little bit more surprising. No doubt, especially the timing of it where they bring in a new quarterback, give him one week, and then the offensive coordinator has gone. And, and again, it wasn't a week where – like it, it wasn't like we watched it and said, "Wow, Sam Ellinger, they got to really fix the game." I, I didn't come away thinking they that Sam didn't look comfortable or any of that. I was pretty impressed with it. So the timing is definitely weird, and this is this is just where I, um, like I brought up, I, it's the urgency right now. Again, you got to put yourself in Frank Reich's shoes. I know fans want to act like this year's over for them. They can't they can't operate that way. They are three, four, and one. It is still a flawed division. They have to find whatever way they can possibly find to try and climb out of this. I think this is Frank Reich just putting a little bit more on himself as the guy who was hired here to build this offense, to get the quarterback comfortable, to um, to do all of that. He's the play caller, and I think that's what confused some people is, you know, they fired a non-play calling offensive coordinator, and there's a lot of people that, and this is something I think we should get into, a lot of people wondered kind of what Marcus Brady's role is. And it's hard to lay out every specific element of it. But I will say that, like, that is that is a huge job to be the offensive coordinator. And Sundays are one day out of seven for them. And these guys work like 100 hours a week. They talk about every time they get out, it's, it's at night. And so the guy that's coordinating the offense is doing a lot of work. And, I mean, we're talking about a role that this non-play-calling offensive coordinator that got Frank Reich a job coaching the Colts that got Nick Sirianni job coaching the Eagles and we see what Nick Sirianni's doing obviously it's not like Sirianni could have uh could do what he's doing now with the Eagles and have not had much of a role in the success that that Philip Rivers had in 2020 and that the Colts had on offense you know with Andrew Luck when he was there too so this is a very big role and it's it's a lot of it's it's play design it's offensive game planning but it's also you're you're a you're a coach for the coaches you were what happens like on Sundays during a game, and this it kind of spills over into the week, is that between series, each position is sitting together, uh, players with their coach. They're looking at the iPad. They're figuring out what they're doing. 
And then the offense coordinator is kind of like the go-between of all of those different groups. And there's going to be coaches that say, like, this is how they're playing us. We need to adjust or we need to get this guy a little bit more involved or this isn't working. And he's he's sort of like bringing that all together. It's Frank Reich is ultimately calling the plays, but – the, the whole plan they put together for Frank Reich to call the plays is from the offense is, is a lot of the offensive coordinator. Obviously, Frank has input, but his job is much bigger than that. So, again, this just goes back to everything that I've, I, I feel like I say every podcast is people talk way too much about play calling and in general in the NFL, but it, it, more here than I've ever seen. Um, the, the obsession is all about play calling. That is, that is a very small fraction of a coach's job, coaching staff, and you can be a great offense coordinator or you can not get the job done as an offense coordinator that has nothing to do with play calling because it's a seven-day-a-week job with hundreds of hours and um, and, and they critically have to get it as, as good of a place as they can get it right now because they have a new quarterback and it's not working. I also know that Frank Craig with coordinators does look at that role as more than just an X's and O's role. When, when he hired Gus Bradley, the two biggest reasons were – leadership and culture um that's that's a part of the evaluation that i don't think any of us really see um and without you can't we can't speculate on it but just in terms of talking about how much it goes into that role we have a tendency to to boil assistant coaches roles down like you're saying we have a tendency to boil them down to like one or two things and it's really much bigger than that um i i was looking at my phone for those of you who watch this on youtube because uh some major breaking news just hit that does touch a little bit on something that happened with the Colts in the last couple of weeks. Forbes is reporting that Bank of that Daniel Snyder has hired Bank of America to help him sell the Washington Commanders. Wow. And there's some question, I think, I, this is happening like right now. I haven't had a chance to read it, all of it yet. There is some question about whether or not he's doing that to sell a majority stake or a minority stake. But, um, I mean, I think the initial reaction for most people is Jim Irsay caught a dead body. Yeah, that is something. You, 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 <laughs> Ursay was the one who put out the hit on him about two weeks ago. Commanders just beat the Colts, so it's like lose the battle and win the war. Um, yeah, <laughs> that, that is that is one way where the Colts have, have come out Ursay, on top. Well, Ursay, Ursay kind of said the thing that no other owner was willing to say, and I mean, we'll, we'll see where this is going because Snyder keeps being adamant that he's not going to sell the team. Um, but, again, Forbes says they've hired – Forbes is reporting that, watch the commanders, that Snyder has hired the – Bank of America to help sell the Washington Commanders. So whatever that looks like, this feels like a very enormous moment and one that Ursay sort of became the public face of two weeks ago. Yeah, and it's interesting if you look back at the response from the Snyder camp to that. The, the response directly to Ursay was very, you know, kind of angry and defiant. Angry, defiant, a little childish. But then there was a letter that <laughs> Snyderish. Yeah, Snyderish. <laughs> Some children act better than him. <laughs> That's true. A lot of them. But then there was a letter that they sent to the other owners, which was very pleading. And you could tell that he, the Snyder camp realized that this was not just Jim Irsay deciding to say something in one moment. He had support for this. He had a lot of support for this. And Snyder became on thin ice. And Jim Irsay became just sort of the perfect, if some owner was going to step up and say this, like he said, the thing that's not been said, it was an owner who has kind of lived his mistakes in public and was secure within those and he came out and he said investigate me if you want because that's been the whole Snyder thing is his threats that um you know I'll dig up dirt on you and I'll and so they they rolled out the one owner who's willing to say do it go for it it's not going to save you and if he's to the point now where he's going to sell the team then then Jim Mercer won that battle it'd be interesting to see what what's going on with that we're getting to the point now where we got to get uh out to uh 
we got to get out to the Colts facility for Wednesday, and, and we'll try to get more explanation on Marcus Brady. I don't know that we're going to get the details um, on exactly what the what was the reason for the move. I don't know that that's going to happen. Um, in the absence of, of those details, it's hard to talk about that move. Um, but if you've learned anything from this podcast, it should be this. If you give a man your tire kit, then you won't have one when you need it. But if you teach a man to use a tire kit, he won't end up with like Nate did this morning. And if you are watching your tires more uh, frequently, you don't have to plug holes so much, which is uh, kind of where the Colts are this season. But, yes, we could spin that on me, and that's, that's totally fine. Uh, for the uh, Colts Cover 2 podcast, I'm Julie Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins.